Hello everyone, I'm Frederick Eichen. I write insecurity analysis and this is a first. This is a conversation I recorded with Dave Natick, the Chief Investment Officer and Director of Research at ETF Trends. Um, because I was seeing, I was watching the price action in Russian stocks and the Russian ETF and I was pretty confused about what's what was going on and needed some some help in understanding that and Dave was very kind to to help out. I learned a lot. I had a lot of fun. And um, yeah, I, I hope you enjoy the conversation. Please do keep in mind, none of this is investment advice. This is just, you know, my opinion, Dave's opinion. We're not, we're not your fiduciaries. We're not your advisors. None of this, all of this is entertainment content. None of it is investment advice. And with that, I hope you enjoy the conversation. Um, I mean, well, it, it, well. it is only in the sense that, uh, you know, I think that, uh, you know, this record keeping system we've all decided to pay attention to for the apocalypse is the most interesting part of the dream state. So I might as well learn it as best I can. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> wow. The way you just phrased that, I was like, oh, that was so quotable. And we're going to have to start the conversation here. You the got a recording team. going. It's fine. You can yeah, get yeah, it The later. record keeping system for the apocalypse is the most interesting Part of the dream. This is so interesting because I always thought of like, you know, financial markets as this kind of like the highest level of abstraction of like the economy, like everything that we're dealing with sure. all day long, like innovation, production, whatever, like you abstract it to just like a bunch of numbers and then you weave a narrative around it. And it is that then at the end of the day, it becomes interesting again because it's just drama and people and ideas. But that was that was a beautiful. Well, I mean, and depending on which one, a weird angle you want to go down, right? It becomes a self-reinforcing prophecy, right? So, like, I mean, not to get religious about it, but if you come at it from a raw atheist perspective, and we're just animals organized in a system to propagate our genetic code, then, then truly, the only advantage human beings have ever had is our ability to construct narrative from ego, right? That's how we survive, right? I mean, that's the Jed McKenna angle of it. Um, but anyway, I'm not guessing that's what you really want to talk about today, but I, I, I'll I go do. on for hours. I do. We're not going to talk we'll do about that some it other right time. now, but we will absolutely talk about um, Okay, so let's let's start off with you've been in the ETF space and I guess financial markets Forever. for yeah. a while, for right? And so let me just ask you this, because I'm looking at what's happening with the, I guess, the Russian ETFs and stocks. And like, I, I see these charts in general, and I'm like, I don't have a framework of reference for that. Is there... Have you have you seen something like that? Is there like precedent for understanding um, what's going on, like in the modern era of having ETFs? Like, yeah, how, so how do you there, think about it? So I don't have like a convenient graph, but I've written about it over and over again. So the the, the relevant cases here, uh, most recently, are high yield bonds, high yield muni bonds, Greece, Argentina, and Egypt. Um, in all of those cases, we have markets that fundamentally changed for some reason um, very, very quickly in a way that the market was not ready for. Um, so it's happened quite a few times in high, high yield bonds, most recently March 2020, right? So markets lock up, the world's going to end, nobody wants to trade junk bonds anymore. Lo and behold, HYG and JNK keep trading all day long like water, billions of dollars flowing through them every single day, but nobody can get a bid on a piece of city paper to save their lives, right? So you end up with these massive disconnects between the liquidity of the underlying market and the liquidity of the ETF. What we're seeing in Russia is sort of the most extreme example of that, but it's not fundamentally different than what happened on any one of the number of days in the last 15 years that nobody wanted to trade junk bonds or high yield munis in what was that, 18 or 
whatever it was, um, Orange County debt didn't trade. But so so that idea of like the liquidity mismatch is an alien. Um, now, in the closed market environment, that's a specific version of the liquidity mismatch. Um, Egypt is a great example. Arab Spring, Egypt closes the market for 26 days, whatever it was, 2010. 2015, whatever it was, my time sense is awful. But anyway, Arab Spring, Egypt closes the market for an extended period of weeks. EGPT, which is the Van Eck Fund, continues to trade. Much like what we're seeing in Russia, EGPT owned a whole lot of stuff that really traded in London and a little bit of stuff that traded on the local exchange. Just like we saw in EGPT, when that local market locked, EGPT continued to trade. It stayed open for creations for some period of time because there was still enough liquidity and Egypt was still trading in London. And so that was actually able to stay open throughout that whole experience. And so you could actually watch you know, the implied value of the fund versus the actual trading value of the fund in real time. And you could sort of, and if you Google my stuff on this, you'll find all the charts that I put up on that, right? You can see like, oh, lo and behold, when Egypt finally opens again, Everything converges. And yes, it turned out that the ETF was a pretty damn good predictor of exactly where it was going to open. It was within a percent, right? So, so the, 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 when, when we talk about price discovery moving to the ETF, that's not just like marketing speak. That's just like literally where all the capital goes, right? I mean, like today, just looking at it right now, $240 million is traded on Russian ETFs. Exactly $0 have traded in Russian stocks because they're all closed in every market in the world. It is impossible to make a transaction in any market in any Russian equity. Yet we have a quarter of a billion dollars running through the ETFs. <laughs> okay, so so I I love this um framing which is I didn't really think about it that way but it's like okay, we had you had something that was liquid that is no longer liquid and the, there's a special case of the market is being closed so we don't exactly know when it, when or if it will become liquid again right um, but there is precedent for that now one thing that that struck me and I, I asked this on on Twitter right so it's sort of this nature of the depository receipts and mm -hmm. the idea that okay if I'm owning in my ETF if I'm not actually owning, I guess the shares locally, but I'm owning the depository receipts. And now I have the situation where there's, you know, sanctions and a lot of tension. And like, I don't know, like it's, I guess, conceivable that even if the, even if the company retains equity value, the, the specific share that's owned by the ETF is not valuable. I'm, yeah. I'm not super and familiar this with is that, where, but like, how this do you think where, about that? This is where this is different this time, right? So in the cases of EGPT, in the cases of Greece, there was a crisis but pretty much everybody assumed it would resolve. And we didn't know exactly what the Egyptian government was going to look like. But like nobody was predicting that Egypt would become a pariah state and nobody would ever do business in the land again. Right. So it's a little different. What's going on right now is really the only examples I can think of are Iran and Cuba. Right. Those those are the cases where we had a connected player in the global economy day on day one and on day two you did not right so you fundamentally change the rules for an entire state actor that feels much more like what's going on now and so this is untested territory in the sense that that has not happened in the modern era we've closed markets we've dealt with liquidity mismatches um however that does not mean we don't know how the rules work right so so the the pathway here is actually somewhat predictable, and and I I have no reason to crow about it, but like this is why I wrote the piece on Monday because I was like this is exactly what's going to happen. Step one, 
all the trading is going to move to the one thing that's trading, that's RSX. RSX will continue to get more and more of the volume on Russia over time because more and more people will trade it, and it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. So within three or four days, right, the liquidity right now is about seven to one RSX to ERUS. Three or four days from now, it'll be 20 to one. And then ERUS will probably close, right? Because there'll just be no money left in it. Um, so that's the first thing that happens. The second thing that happens is the listing exchanges for the receipts have to start looking at their rule books and understanding what their liabilities are, right? And so when when Gazprom goes to the LSE and says, we would like to be trading on your exchange, they have to abide by a 150-page rule book about what that means in terms of disclosures and how dividends get paid and all that jazz. They're already in violation of all of them by now. Right. There's these are like daily requirements. So it's only so I was surprised it took them this long to suspend trading. I had predicted they would do that on Wednesday. They waited till Thursday. Um, I actually thought that by today they would delist them all and actually, which, you know, effectively turns them into non securities. Um, I mean, they, they notionally have legal entity, but they're non tradable at that point. Um, I suspect that'll be tomorrow or Monday. I mean, this on this is going to depend on what's going on in the rest of the world. But from the LSE's perspective, they're going to look at these receipts and say, like, are we ever letting Gazprom trade again? Or are we just saying this Gazprom, you know, OGZD does not trade on London anymore? Sorry. I suspect they'll get to that point. Um, in the meantime, what's going on, on the on the sort of product side, the ETF and index side is a couple different things. So if you are the portfolio manager at Van Eck right now running RSX, and they have closed the trading in the things that you own, which in their case, luckily was exclusively the GDRs, you can no longer take new money, right? Because there's nothing to do with it. You can't, that you can't, nobody can deliver you a basket of securities. You theoretically can take a redemption order. Somebody shows up with 100,000 shares of RSX and actually wants that basket of non-trading securities. There is no mechanical reason that that can't happen. So technically, you'll never see these things close for redemptions because I suppose if somebody wants to redeem, they'll let them. It actually solves a problem for them. But they have to close for creations because there's no way to put new money to work. Once it's closed for creations, now you've blown any connection to the underlying out. There is now no longer any structural connection between the securities in the fund in the 40 Act Trust that is RSX and the security that trades on NYSE called RSX. There's just there's it's like any closed-end fund. Its price will be whatever two individual traders decide they think it's worth for the moment. Meaning you um, can no the, longer arbitrage between right, there's no art. Right. Well, yeah, there's yeah, no yeah. truth, right? I mean, this is where right. this is where it starts to becoming to me more interesting than just finance, right? Because yeah. This is now about perceptions of truthiness in the world. What is Gazprom worth? Well, it's certainly not the case that all of the oil fields Gazprom owns are worthless. Nobody would argue that. There is a physical asset base. There is a company. There is pipelines. There are people who do jobs. So it's not the case that it is literally worth nothing from a sort of truth perspective. However, it is quite possible that it is truly now worth nothing to anyone who is not a Russian citizen, hmm. because the last thing we heard from Moex was we're closing to foreign investors. So when you close your market to foreign investors, congratulations, you are now Cuba. Yeah. Yeah. And right? so then it's sort of you're in this limbo state until who knows how this all plays out. But for the for the foreseeable future, you're basically like, OK, um, the, the connection between that and what happens to the. Are you basically saying that the ETF, though, could trade 
for so I was going back to these charts, right? And like um sort of with, with World War II, right, and, and the creation of uh, kind of the communist bloc, you had a bunch of stock exchanges that basically disappeared. Mm-hmm. Now I was thinking if back then there had been an ETF. And then that ETF had been disconnected from that stock exchange. It, would it have been possible to trade, you know, a Russian, a quote unquote, Russian or Soviet Union ETF, you know, for 50 years as a proxy of at some sure. point? You know, the, like, prob- the problem is, is that is there, does that ETF own anything at that point? It's just point? a trading sardine, right? Right. It, yeah. I mean, that's a good way of putting it, right? I mean, it's, a, it's just an empty wrapper. <laughs> Um, at Maybe that it owns claims of restitution at some point in the future. Possibly, right? Like that is, and that's it, the interesting thing is that's actually mechanically what's going to happen, right? So, so I wanted to ask you about that. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, so, so step one, step one, you're at RSX, you have to close for creations. Step one. Step two, do you believe that you can still have a viable market for the security you run? There are capital markets guys that do this for a living, and he now has to make the decision okay, my underlying market's closed do I keep this security trading? Now, it's not really up to him. It's technically kind of up to Nisey whether or not the security is trading, right? Manex just the investment advisor. The trust exists on its own. Um, and, and there are certain functions that are delegated by the board. But fundamentally, it's going to be up to the issuer whether or not they implement the process of going to Nisey and saying, we should probably suspend trading in this thing because it's no longer viable. The only reason they'll do that is when you actually can't make a market in anymore. Right. Because because like you said, I mean, whether it's a sardine or not, if you got an open market and everybody's willing to bid this thing, it's hard to argue that the market is not functional when you've got market makers making penny wide spreads and trading two hundred million dollars a day. Right. Um, You know, it's more like RSX is more liquid than 90 percent of the stocks in the United States today. So you can't say that the market's not working. So so then it, it really just then becomes sort of this moral question of like, what obligation does the asset manager have? to their investors. They can't liquidate and give everybody their money back because there's nowhere to put the stock, right? So, uh, you know, I would argue, my general opinion has been for 25 years that the, from a sort of investment ethics perspective, the ETF is a superior vehicle because at least the end investor has an opportunity to have an opinion. Right. If I'm in the Voya Russian ETF right now, or one of the $4 billion in USITS ETFs in Europe that track Russia, you have no options. You can't get your money out. You can't put money in. You are waiting for them to tell you whether you will ever get a penny out of your investment. Meaning in that instance, you're sitting in a vehicle that's invested locally. There's no trading over there. You're kind no, no, in a mutual fund. I'm just saying a traditional mutual fund, right? So if you're in a traditional mutual fund with daily liquidity at 4 p.m., right? Or 4.30 in Europe, then you got locked because all those funds closed from business. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I didn't. Got it. Got right. it. But the ETFs, because they are still trading. Now you may, you may be sitting here saying, well, I paid $35 for RSX six weeks ago and now it's at $6. I don't want to sell, but you could. Right. Right. There's still a and conversely, if you, yeah. if you genuinely believe this is all going to roll over, they'll pull back, the sanctions will get lifted. Gazprom will go back up to being a $12 stock instead of a 13 cent stock. And I want to call the bottom, then sure, like you can go buy RSX right now. Now, my personal opinion is I think we're actually headed in a very different direction in Russia. But mechanically, the ETF at least gives the investor agency in that decision versus every mutual fund, which you now can't get money in or out of, has no net value being published. 
your money is just literally in a black box and you have no control over what may or may not happen to it. So, okay. And I, I appreciate that. And you, you commented on something. I mean, this was on Twitter where basically Russia, the, the Russian index or the Russian kind of component of the emerging markets index yeah, this is uh, where was, this was being pulled out. And the release said, we're doing this at a price that's effectively zero. We're going to put it into its own standalone thing. It's no longer, and, and emerging markets are obviously sort of this big category that from an allocation perspective, I don't know that Russia was particularly big in there, but it's certainly like a category that a lot yeah. of people care about. And I was like, wait a second, I own an emerging markets ETF. And now somebody's taking this out at a price that's zero, which may or may not be the case. So like what's, what's going on? How, how should I think about that? Yeah, this is where it gets really interesting. So um, so that you can, this is totally available information. If you go to the iShares website, go to EEM, go look at the holdings, you can pull down a spreadsheet for every single day that shows you not only what they owned, but what they marked everything at, which is where it gets really interesting. So if you pull up that right now today, as of last night's 4 p.m. close, they were marking all of the Russian holdings at the last traded price in Moex, right? So Gazprom was priced at, you know, I don't know, it was like 250 on a US dollar basis, right? It, nobody thinks it's worth 250 on a US dollar basis, right? I mean, it hasn't traded in days and days and days. And the GDR was trading at like 14 cents on a dollar basis. So no rational human being would say that is the correct price for that. But that is the price because of the index rules and because the, the issuer wants to match the index rules because they get paid on tracking difference over time. So they're going to use the index rules for marking this stuff, which most of the time is something like last available traded price times last available traded FX. Like that's pretty simply the rule with some variation around like, oh, there were no bids at 359. So we're using a bid ask midpoint. They're like there, there's some variation around pricing policy, but it's pretty straightforward. And there's also stuff about fair market valuing. So for instance, if you're trying to strike a price for Japan, but Japan is closed. There are rules about like, oh, well, the futures were up 1%, so we're going to mark up some of those. And every fund has their own rules about that. But index funds generally just adopt the rules of the index provider because then their tracking error is zero. So they're doing what MSCI would tell them to do, which is last available price times current ruble at 115 or whatever it is. So the price of those securities has definitely come down because of the ruble collapse and because the market was open until five days ago in Russia. So it came down, but it didn't come all the way down the 97% we all think it should be down. So now they're in this weird position where they're overvaluing these securities on the books. There's, people are trading based on that overvaluation, but they're doing it the same way the index is telling them to do. So they are doing their job, right? They're doing what it said on the 10, what the prospectus says they're going to do. So now MSCI has to somehow give them a get out of jail free card, right? Because if they're going to say, Russia's a pariah state, these securities no longer exist, there's got to be a process for getting there. Okay. That yeah. is in some way at least not awful, right? Like that at least <laughs> it harms the fewest number of people. Yeah. So the way they tend to do that kind of thing is to broadcast ahead of time to say, on such and such a date, this is how we'll value those securities. Now, iShares still can't do anything. They can't sell any of these things, but they now know that on March 9th, the Gazprom they've held on the books for at $2.90 is going to be marked at zero. And that allows a couple things to happen. It allows people to reassess the price of EEM and they'll bake that loss in now, right? Because it's worth zero now, whether they marked it that way or not. 
Oddly, that means it might look like it trades at a discount for a few days because the NAV will be too high versus where it should trade. But then eventually, MSCI will say, now the rule is this is the illiquid security. It is worth zero because it hasn't traded in seven contemporaneous training sessions. Well, I don't, whatever the rules are that they'll put down on paper. Now it is worth zero. And now, Mr. Fund, you can just shovel these stocks off into a toxic trust somewhere. What so, they do with those shares is sort of unimportant at that point. Is it? So I was thinking like, okay, I mean, it, it might not, it might be negligible from the perspective of the value of of EEM, but there's still, I don't know, there's still some value of, if the value isn't zero, right? Like where does that go? And as a holder of the ETF, you, you're going to ignore it, you're gonna trade the shares, but it's still going to sit there. So if at some point, I, I was wondering, I mean, and this is probably, this is card before the horse, right? Cause you kind of have to see how it plays out. But I was thinking like, it's not like, it's not like I own a share of the ETF and I'm going to also get this potential future claim, right? It's going to sort of stay attached, presumably, to well, the ETF. Except, except, except here's the thing, right? So I own EEM. I'm entitled to the value of this portfolio over the days that I own this portfolio. Yeah. As of March 9th, Russia is no longer part of this index. So I am no longer entitled to any movement in Russian stocks because I am not invested in the Russian market because I chose an MSCI Emerging Markets Index Russia is not an emerging market company country anymore, okay. right? So like on March 10th, if all of a sudden you restrike all these things up $10 because, I don't know, Jesus comes down and the second coming happens and we take over Russia, I don't know how that I would mean, happen. Putin might die. Like, like, let's say, I'm not saying this is a high probability, Russia, but there's obviously right, right, there's there's a revolution where Russia comes back. Giant revolution. Value, right? right. Giant whatever. revolution. They become the new Germany, whatever. They join the EU. Like, who knows? Stuff could happen. Any value above zero, which I think is... There is some scenario where it's worth more right. than zero. But right? now like, it's effectively it? a bankruptcy asset, right? Yeah. So now it's basically like owning Lehman paper, right? And but no asset it? manager in a 401k, I mean, in a, in a 40 act fund is going to want to be in the business of owning distressed lottery ticket paper. They're going to sell that to a hedge fund, right? So somewhere out there in the United States, on I mean, we all know where, on the shore of Connecticut, someone is accumulating all the RSX they can buy, all of the underlying securities they can. I would not surprise me, honestly, to see over the next couple of days, some of those RSX positions get, like we had, we had creations in RSX until yesterday. People kept putting money in, which meant that they were delivering baskets of GDRs up until last night into RSX. At some point, some hedge fund is going to unwind that and say, here is my million shares of RSX. I would like all of those GDRs and I'm happy to warehouse them for you, right? And they'll do that with the individual Russian holdings as well. Like they'll do that any place they can. Now, the likelihood is whichever hedge fund does that is going to lose all of the money that they put to work doing that. But there's a non-zero chance that they end up right. owning Gazprom, like all of it. <laughs> you know, like, we, like, so you're right. There is this weird lottery ticket feature to it that is utterly unknowable. I mean, and that yeah, is truly yeah, yeah. the untested territory. What happens yeah, I don't, next? I don't have is, a view on right. I don't have a view on whether this is like a good trade. I'm just curious. Right, you're taking some. You're taking this at a zero value out of my basket that I owned yesterday. Right. right? Tomorrow you're taking it out. I'm not getting compensated for it. Where, like, where does it go? And what if? So it's, if you right, well, like, so as an investor, what where it goes is that 
Yesterday, you had a 3% allocation to Russia, which is roughly the allocation in the global market portfolio. Yeah. yeah. Today, you have a 0% allocation, which means you now own more of all those other things on a notional yeah, yeah. basis. Now, okay. you lost money because we marked Russia to zero. Sorry, you were invested in Russia. Russia, I think today, most people would say Russia is not worth very much today, like mid-artillery bombardment. So it's, it's tough to say that you're doing anything nefarious to me as a holder today when you say we're kicking Russia out at this low, low price. If you really disagree with me, go buy RSX. Like There is an opportunity for you to go buy the dip if you wanted that Russia exposure. You can go spend 10 million bucks and buy up a bunch of RSX or ERUS and just get your Russia back. And then if that happens, you'll get that pop, right? If all of a sudden everything revalues and we, you know, this was all a terrible dream, you'll be rich. You'll, you'll, you know, make 10,000% or whatever it takes to make 99% we came down. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. No, I mean, um, no, it's just, I I think it's, it's so interesting because like I, like I said, like I, uh, this is sort of the first time that I'm kind of, yeah, looking at this, the, and, the, and the, I, I think it is worth asking about. Like, you're asking the right question, which is: Is there a trade here? Is there an arbitrage that's being shoved from one group of holders to another? Is there a value exchange? Those are the right questions to ask. To me, the the problem is that the end state still requires the rule of law, and that's the thing we don't know. But yeah, the, the, yeah. the big unknown, which the trade, the trade relies on is whether or not foreign property rights exist in the post-war Russian economy. And I think that that is a legitimately open question. Yeah, no, I I, I agree. This is sort of whether or not there's an interesting trade here is like, um, we're going to find out at at some point. You got to think about it like Cuba, right? I think people who think about this like Egypt and Greece are right in the sense that the mechanics are following that path. But I think the sort of political legal situation is much closer to Cuba or Iran. So, okay. So quick follow on, because my, so, so, so sort of putting, putting a bow on, on Russia, there's obviously, I'd say there's other countries and maybe to me mentally, China is probably at the forefront where um, that are very prevalent in a lot of kind of, you know, global or emerging market ETS, not that China is necessarily emerging market, but maybe another discussion, but um, where you're also relying on maybe you own ADRs or you own everything through the VIE structure. And there's always sort of been two sides yeah. to does it matter or does it not matter? And it strikes me that we're sort of at this point where a lot, for a long time people thought like, uh, no, Russia, maybe rule of law isn't great, but like I still own this and like they wouldn't torpedo their own economy. And like, whoops, there you go. Now that's gone. And do you think um, I, I've seen there there are ETFs, right? There's sort of the emerging market ETF or, or things that kind of own everything, everything yeah. to a broad index. And then there are sort of, um, I think, um, ETFs that specifically exclude certain countries, right? Yeah, there's this freedom it's thing. Like FR, there's FRDM. Yeah. yeah. Is that, is, is, do, do you already see like a shift in flows to that? Like, do you think like- We haven't seen, the risk not of, like, big ADRs ones, but I China? think that we're going to see more of it. Um, like the, the big money here is not retail, right? So, so the real allocation decisions are mostly pensions and endowment, at least in the United States and sovereign funds globally. Right. So what the Norse pension funds decide to do and the Norse sovereign funds try to do in terms of global markets exposure probably matters a whole lot more than how much trading goes in or out of EM or whether or not China, you know, people start getting squirrely about China and their 401k, right? That's what we'll talk about, but really 
the only thing that would matter is, oh, are the Saudis divesting from China, right? Is Norway divesting from China? Now we can have a conversation, right? Because the US ownership is just pretty small. Um, so yeah, it's a big issue. I think if anything, I'm less worried about that than I would have been a week ago because of the severity of the West response, right? And I, that, I, I don't think that we can, I'm not a Pollyanna. I don't think it means like, well, China's gonna understand, they gotta stay in there, you know, no, but I think, does it give them a pause? Like if they had like that 2024 invasion plan all lined up, might've tossed a couple of years on that while well, they'd figure out how to survive a Western reaction like this one. Um, and, and so I think if nothing else, it bought us some time on that inevitable Sino-American conflict. Um, you know, not that I, I'm not predicting a hot war, but it's like, I'm, I'm also not going to be dumb enough to say, we'll never get into a conflict with China about anything ever again. You know, hopefully it won't be military. It'll just be economic and political. But, um, when we saw what happened in Hong Kong, you know? Yeah. Um, no TBD, but, but I do agree that it's, it's sort of very interesting to watch, not just the, like the response and also what it looks like to sort of disconnect a modern economy from all of the systems, right? From and like boy, banking, we have no idea what that's going to look internet. like. Like it's, it's wild. And, and it's man. weeks, if weeks, if not months or quarters before we really understand what we did in the last week. And I'm not sitting here saying we shouldn't have done it. I'm actually, honestly, I'm, I'm personally, I'm kind of encouraged that the West was able to do anything in a coordinated fashion in a hurry, like given our, given the West's generalized lack of ability to respond effectively to a pandemic, which was, you know, two years ago's global crisis, this was a refresher. Like, I mean, with the giant caveat, oh my God, I wouldn't want to be a farmer in Germany right now, figuring out where the fuck I'm going to get fertilizer next season. Like, I mean, they're like huge issues that are just sitting out there. I mean, just Ukrainian food production, like who's going to plant in six yeah, weeks? Yeah, I just saw that. And I thought it, it's like the, the, the bread basket of Europe yeah. or just like a, just in general. And that's why the flag is yellow like, and blue, okay. right? Because yeah, it entirely looks like Arkansas, the entire country from what I can tell. So it's, yeah, like they're, the unintended consequences train is going to be big and it's going to be brutal. Um, I, you know, I'm not the kind of person who tries to make calls on those kinds of things because the yeah. market already knows all that, right? So I don't know, maybe ags go down from here because everybody just priced it all in. I mean, look at what happened to the backwardation curve in oil. I mean, it's the market's not as dumb as everybody thinks it is. Um, so in general, the world doesn't end and we find a way through these things. So I guess that's Pollyanna, but yeah, the unintended consequences are going to be huge. Um, the good news is there's so much money floating around in the system that the idea of like a true sort of long-term capital management, you know, bolus of debt crushing a whole pile of companies, you know, in unrelated parts of the market. I just don't see that um, because there's just so much liquidity. There's no, there's no opportunity for a liquidity crunch to actually tank something important like the food distribution, because there's enough money in the system to solve any of those problems with the will. Uh, but yeah, like banking risk management, I, like, you know, when the, the old adage that people say on Fintwood all the time that, you know, risk can never be created or destroyed. It can only be transformed and pawned off on someone else. Like that's like, okay, there's a whole giant pile of risk. We don't know where this is going to roll downhill. I, I liked what you, the, the metaphor you used, the, the train of unintended consequences as sort of this long, heavy, like this battering thing that's just kind of barreling down the tracks. And like, we'll, we'll see 
where it stops or where it falls off the track. But like, yeah, no, I, and, and, and I appreciate um, that you took the time to sort of break down this, this ETF uh, conundrum for me. A little bit. <laughs> I don't know I, how much that's helpful. I just talked too long. It was but... very helpful. <laughs>